Texas talking oh, What was that that you said Texas talking oh, Gonna hoop up inside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys are Welcome to uh, Tribcast uh, This is a nominee for the Republican Party for Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick The last person you ever thought would actually introduce uh, Tribcast and now I want to uh, throw it over to someone who is not impeccably dressed, Reeve Hamilton uh, and his two companions. Who, they're in shorts and, and T-shirts, uh, Austin Weird or something like that, and one impeccably dressed a young lady. Reeve? Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the first week of July. I'm joined by slovenly dressed executive editor Ross Ramsey. I thought it was a holiday week. Well, it is. Well, but they, we still have standards here. Not very high. <laughs> yeah, not at the trip cast. <laughs> really? You want to explain yours? Yeah. <laughs> and then we have reporter Jay Root, who's also a bum. No, actually, I'm very well dressed. <laughs> Could you point this out? Because it doesn't happen, doesn't happen very often. Well, for our, li- our listeners cutoffs. don't know this. <laughs> All, the only person actually, that's very they probably do. <laughs> the only person that's very well dressed is reporter Terry Langford. Yeah, okay. According to our introer. <laughs> Uh, well, let's just jump right in. Ross, you went to the Democratic State Convention last week, which we talked about ahead of the thing last week on the Tribcast. But coming out of it, uh, I don't know if there was a ton of news, but there was this thing with Representative Trey Martinez Fisher. Yeah, there wasn't a ton of news. I mean, they, you know, they're doing the things that you normally do at these. They did a pep rally. They tried not to get in trouble with their platform. They did a fairly good prep, pep rally. They did a pretty good job of keeping their platform non-newsworthy, um, which the Democrats have been better at in the last few years than the Republicans have. And that's why they've been winning so much. Well, yeah, that's that's obviously led to their success. Um, and uh, Trey Martinez-Fisher gave one of the speeches. They had a, you know, um, they go as, as these things just go through a round of speeches. It's like a TED Talks of politics. And um, Trey Martinez-Fisher was up there trying to rally everybody and at one point was talking about immigration and the Republican Party's platform and the Republican Party's convention three weeks earlier, and he said, GOP, GOP, that stands for gringos y otros pendejos. And Which it was sort translated of, for our non-Spanish-speaking uh, Americans and other assholes, basically. <laughs> um, and there was this sort of, you know, you can watch the video on our on our site in the, in the story I wrote about it, but the um, there was sort of a gasp and a laugh at the time. And, you know, it was one of those things where you sort of go, okay, the Republicans are being accused of all of this racist politics and all of this racist division and everything that they're putting into everything. And here's the guy responding to it in, in kind of the same light. Discuss. Um, and Does it's been it, kind of the only thing after the after the convention that had a tail on it. I thought what, what – and in, in your column about it was, I thought, really just spot on. You know, a lot of people, we, we're always talking about how Republicans don't reach out enough to Hispanics and blacks, uh, minorities, obviously. Um, and But we don't talk a lot about how Democrats have had a very hard time getting white people to vote for the party, their candidates. And I think this is, these, these are the, these, when these things happen, you, you, you point to that and you go, well, maybe this actually turns people off. And I think it does. And I think it's a liability to, to say those kinds of things. Um, it, it, you know, sure, you're going to get some people to go rah, rah, but you're turning off people that you could potentially be bringing into your party. Do you think that uh, Representative Martinez Fisher wishes he could go back and remove that from his speech or 
conversely, it is like the big new. That's what the one thing people are talking about coming out of the convention. So does it work in his favor? You know, he's sort of taken on the role of the you know the fist of the of the house certainly and of the Democratic Party in some ways. He's the guy who punches you in the nose and somebody else can apologize for it. And I don't. He was he was not apologetic. Immediately afterwards, he was not apologetic. Days afterwards, I think you know this is, you know he he felt this way, and you know it was in the written speech. It wasn't an aside. It was on the, actually in the written speech. He's he's not backing off from it. I had an interesting conversation with Eric Johnson, who wrote a column in the Dallas Morning News, famous before, guitar player before the yeah before the convention. Uh, he's a State Democrat from South yeah. Dallas, um, and you know he was he. Said when he was writing his column, and then when he was talking to me later, he said, "You know, when we get to the point when the Democrats win a statewide election and we're doing the autopsy of that to figure out exactly what happened, he thinks it's going to be some combination of either they got minorities to vote who had not been voting, who are already Democratic, and you know, for some reason or another, have stayed on the couch in November of every election year, or it'll be that they finally got the Democratic Party." And white voters sort of reconciled enough that some white voters came back to the Democratic Party who were there when the Democratic Party was winning. He said, you know, it'll probably be some combination of the two. And he, his his sort of current lament seems to be that, you know, the party efforts are aimed more at the people who are already in the base, the you know, the blacks and the Hispanics who are there but aren't voting than on bringing new voters over, the white voters who might be disenfranchised or, or disillusioned with the Republican Party. So Eric Johnson is the one that comes over and apologizes after Trey Martinez Fisher has punched you in the nose. No, actually, he wrote this before Martinez Fisher. And, and when I talked to him, it was interesting. When I talked to him, you know, after the weekend, he still hadn't heard Martinez Fisher's comments. He wasn't there when he said it. So he was at the convention, but he wasn't there when he said it and hadn't heard that part. But, you know, kind of of a piece. Yeah. I also thought that uh, Steve Ministeri, the chairman of the Republican Party, his response was fairly interesting in that it was just it was very he was able to sort of take a very mediated high road kind of thing where he was like, look, I understand their frustration. There's, there's I would I would be doing the same thing if I had been out of power for d- decades. There's an old line in politics. Never interrupt your opponent when he's committing suicide. Right? <laughs> the ministry did a pretty good job of not interrupting. This isn't that unusual for Trey Martinez Fisher, really. I mean, I, I remember during the 2012 convention, they were very proud of the ad that they ran against Ted Cruz mocking his inability to speak Spanish or to speak it well anyway. I think he does speak a little Spanish, but without mentioning the fact that Julian Castro and Joaquin Castro don't really speak great Spanish either. So, you know, and there are a lot of Hispanics who don't speak Spanish. That's not any horrible thing. I mean, it, it happens. Um, so the the sort of racially tinged statements, he, he has a, a, a tendency to do that. Well, I guess we'll see if they change anything in November. I, you know, I'd, I'm sorry. No, yeah. right? Yeah, I didn't see anything. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't shocking because it was something that. Um, I can't believe he said that. It was shocking more because it's like I can't believe he said that into a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jay, could you say some things into the microphone about the series you've been working on? Uh, for months, but it's yeah, only run this past week. Yeah, we, we say six months. It was really more like eight months, honestly, for me anyway. I mean, I, I look back at some emails to try to figure out when I started this, and it was more like November. But um, basically, we focused on what happens to people when something bad happens to them at work, when they get injured or killed at work. And, uh, you know, really what we found is that there's a, there's a good chance that something bad happens to you after something bad happens to you. 
I mean, basically that there, there's not a great safety net. Uh, Texas is the only state in the country that doesn't have a mandatory comp law for the private sector, workers' compensation law for the private sector. Um, and so there are hundreds of thousands of people who literally have no benefits at all, work, work, you know, workplace benefits at all if they get injured so they don't have any wage replacement. Um, there's, there's no income coming in. There's no medical benefits. A lot of times what ends up happening very, very frequently is that they call it patient dumping where they basically they just dump these people off uh, in, in hospital rooms, uh, in hospital emergency rooms. Um, and, and then you have a lot of people that have really substandard coverage. And then people who do cover are covered by workers' compensation, even though it's voluntary. There are 81% of the workforce or workers, employees. is the way to think about this employee, because when you say worker, a lot of people who aren't like on a construction site think, well, that doesn't apply to me. But actually, as we discovered, there are a lot of rank-and-file employees, even employees that are making quite a lot of money, uh, who end up getting in this work comp system. And the critics say it's really stacked against the worker. And what we found is that um, employees are winning less than a third of the major disputes that they have before the workers' compensation division. So, you know, we, we, we had the story of Crystal Davis, who her husband was had a very good-paying job working for Burger King. Um, and he got killed on the way to a work assignment. She won at every step of the way, de- de- defied the odds at the Workers' Compensation Commission, and then the insurance company sued her, took her to state district court. So now she's she's fighting. You know, so the widow versus the insurer is what. And they didn't just know. sue her, right? They sued her kids, too. Yeah, they named her kids in the petition, and she was just like, you know, just like all the air went out of me when I got that lawsuit. And just like, oh, my God, they sued my kids. Well, and so how much is the system that we have, though, necessary in order to have the sort of miraculous economic boom that we've had here in Texas? Well, you know what I I, I thought was, you know, Greg Greg Abbott, Attorney General Greg Abbott, was, was, you know, very strongly defended the fact that we have an optional work comp system. And he said, you know, people can always sue. That's what that's what you get to do if you know. So that that's your that's your protection is to sue. Um, now, of course, you know, just forget about just forget about tort Texas reform. Texas, the, the land yeah. of the lawsuits. Yeah. Forget it. Forget about tort reform. Forget about all that stuff. You, it, it's true. You do lose workers' comp. The reason we started workers' comp in this in this state and in other states in the country was it was sort of this grand bargain uh, where employers got liability protection and employees had had some uh, protection once they got hurt or their families got some protection if they got killed. But what we found was that in a lot of cases, there's no one to sue. I mean, the the Angel Hurtado case that we wrote about today, uh, Edgar Walters wrote about this story uh, of a, a man who was a roofer in a very nice West Austin neighborhood, fell off a roof, hit his head on the concrete, died almost instantly, died in his wife's arms. She was there. She roofed with him. And Mike... That's who. The, that's what. That's who they knew. Mike, the contractor. Mike disappeared the next day. He promised the, the day of that he would help the family. He said, "I'm going to do everything I can to help you." The day after, they couldn't get a hold of him. He quit answering his phone. Disappeared. Left Austin. They don't know where he went. They got. They tried to get lawyers to sue the sue somebody. But no one knows who Mike is. No one knew who Mike was. They they couldn't find him. I mean, he quit answering his phone and he just left. And that was it. And. There was a police report. It was all documented. The work certificate, I mean, the death certificate says, you know, killed on the job. 
OSHA came to investigate. OSHA said, it's not our case. He's a subcontractor. He's self-employed. We don't have anything to do with it. They've already deleted the file. We don't even know if he's counted in the worker statistics. The family's like, we would, we just want to know, what you know, why didn't anybody do anything? They want justice. They want some kind of, you know, the the the, uh, the wife had to take out a loan. The son had to drop out, had to give up on his college dreams and spend all his college money. Now, you know, in that case, the risk was all on them. They took all the risk upon themselves, and, and they, they, they lost this horrible negative lottery. Um, and, it, you know, it probably won't happen to you, but if it does, the risk is on you. And then those people end up just become disposable workers, basically. Well, it's weird that the remedy would be to go to court because, you know, before tort reform was tort reform, it was workers' comp. I mean, in 1989, we had four, I think, special sessions under Bill Clements. That's how old I am. And and it was all about workers' comp, and it was all a big fight between the trial lawyers and the business interests. And, and one of the big compromises in that fight and in subsequent fights was – Okay, well, we're going to beef up workers' comp and try to get rid of some of this stuff that goes to court now, but we're still not going to require it of everybody. And and we're one of how many states that doesn't do – you, do you know that off the top of your head? We're the only state that has no mandatory comp law. Oklahoma has an opt-out provision, but it says that you have to offer a private equivalent. So if you have a it, – it, the, the private equivalent has to meet standards. New Jersey technically has an opt-out provision, but there's not – no companies take advantage of it because it's too onerous. So, but, but every state except Texas requires occupational insurance. Um, uh, and the you know the, they're called non-subscribers that you have mean, meaning they don't subscribe to workers' compensation insurance. Um, and the non-subscriber lobby is very powerful. I mean, Walmart, Costco, Home Depot, a lot of the big box stores, a lot of the healthcare institutions um, don't carry comp. And in some cases, you know, HEB. In some cases, they they have good plans. They you know I I'm I've told just been told anecdotally because that's all we have. We we can't look at their plans. We don't know what they cover. We don't know what benefits are in them. We do know, for example, that workers comp must have a death benefit. You must offer that a standard policy. And only 41% of the non-subscribers that do have private policies offer death benefits. So you have a, like a 60% chance that if you get killed on the job for a non-subscriber with a plan, you're not covered. So is that a violation of the law? No, not, not, no, not at all. In fact, there's no law that says you have to have any private coverage at all. It's just that these responsible, uh, so to speak, non-subscribers like HEB, like Walmart, they all have plans. They're private plans. They're not regulated at all by the state, except that to the extent that we do collect information and, and you do have to opt out, you have to say, hey, you know, if the Texas Tribune were to drop workers' comp, they would have to notify the state, we're dropping out, and we're going to, you know, you don't have to do a private alternative. You just have to notify them. Well, what we discovered in this investigative story is that over 90%, more than 90% of the companies that are supposed to be reporting to the state that they're opting out are not opting out, and the state's doing, you know, more or less next to nothing about it. They're I mean, not opting out, or they are opting out but not notifying anyone. Well, they're 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 not they're not covering workers' comp, and they're fail they're they're flouting the requirement to tell the state about it. But it seemed it seemed like I mean you from your story that the state just isn't particularly interested in this at all, and it seems like they rely entirely on OSHA to. 
keep track of workers. Yeah, there was a no, well, well. There's a. I mean, when you get into the safety issue, one of the things that we discovered was that the 24-hour safety hotline really is wasn't operating 24 hours. Now I'm this told this is a brand new development. I'm told that they actually, after we called and inquired about it, and, and Representative Renee Oliveira's office, uh, I haven't, I have not actually written the story yet, but I plan on it. Um, is well, this that, is so, going up so, this afternoon? So, so, you, so well, that's fine. You're, we're breaking a little news here, but uh, I'm, I'm told that the safety hotline has actually is is now 24 they actually have a human being answering the phone for the first time i believe since it was uh since it was installed in 1993 but for some time we don't know how long it takes a while to start these things up for, yeah. for, 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 human for, beings were just invented like by yeah. apple in 2004 i think no but for like quite a long time we did we don't know how long they, they said we we can't say how long that like the voicemail was disabled after 5 p.m so the 24-hour hotline i mean essentially they were not adhering to the law that says you have to have a 24-hour telephone bilingual service for worker safety and we weren't and they weren't even taking messages they weren't even taking messages we don't know for how long wow and the, and the the code the statute actually says you shall operate a 24-hour bilingual telephone service for safety so why do you why do you think this is sort of important for people to know. I mean, one of the sort of the, I noticed on social media and stuff, you got a lot of response to the story of people just being like, oh, Jay's just mad that Texas is doing so well. You know, Texas is doing well. I think the idea that the miracle is a mirage is, I, I don't, I just, I don't buy that. I do think there is something special about the Texas economy. But to the extent that it's special because um, worker because employers don't have the kind of liability that other employers have. I think people should know that you should you know let the buyer be let the worker beware. I really feel like this is something that people should read, and if they if they are okay with not having any protections, um, if they're okay with the Boucher decision, for example, that says that if you don't subscribe to workers' comp, you can fire somebody after they file a claim because they filed a claim and not have a state retaliatory firing lawsuit on you. I mean, that's what that happened. That's a fact. Bad faith eliminated uh, in insure in, in, in workers' comp insurance cases. So. As long as people know that and they know that going in, I, I sort of agree with the idea that you're taking on the liability, but a lot of people really don't know. They don't know that that 1-800 number on the poster in their lunchroom calling the safety hotline wasn't a 24-hour hotline, even though it said it was. So, you know, let's let's get the information out there. Let people read it, and if they're okay working for in those circumstances, go for it. Although if they're not okay, what recourse do they really have? Um, find a different job. Find a different job. You know, go work for somebody that has workers' comp, and then and then uh, call your state rep. And if you feel like it needs to be changed, call your state rep and ask. You know, why is it that um, in 2008 uh, workers were winning about a 50-50 of their major dis- disputes, and now it's less than a third? I mean, what what happened? What, what's you know what's what's going on? Are you asking me? No, I'm saying that that people, you know, if <laughs> he knows, people, he knows yeah. better than yeah, that. <laughs> if people do do want to know what's going on, I mean, I think it's interesting because we talk a lot about immigration, for example, immig- you know, the the and, and we we have a border crisis. We do, of course, we do. There, there's all kinds of people coming across, and you can't have lawlessness on the on the border. But there are a lot of problems like that that the state has a very limited uh, ability to impact. 
Um, we, you know, the, the the border is a federal responsibility, and yes, it's you know you can make the case that the federal government is not living up to its responsibility, but there's no question whose responsibility the work comp system is. There's no question whose responsibility uh, business regulation is. It's in the hands of the governor and the legislature, and we spend a lot of time talking about problems that are hard for a state to solve, a state government to solve, and we don't spend much time talking about the things that are the state's responsibility, and this is one of them. Very good. Anything else on, on your series before we move on? Well, I, I think today is a was, is a really good day to look at it. Today is Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. There, there, there are, uh, we have the names of over 2,000 people uh, that were killed on the job between 2000 and 2012, I believe. Um, and it's just interesting to go through there and, and look at the names and see there's like a one, maybe five or six word description, you know, killed after falling from roof or, you know, um, you, you'll see there's a ton of Hispanic names on there. Um, and, um, it's just interesting to see how people have died on the job. Um, and, um, there's also a resources page if people want to know more about whether find out if hey find out if you have workers comp it's a good place to go and check it out. It's actually they they built a whole website around it and you know had a whole team behind Jay on it and it's actually a really really impressive piece of work and and now that it's all I guess it's all up now uh, you can go through it and read the whole thing it's it's worth the sit down and worth the read it's really pretty great and there are videos. Yeah, there's pictures. videos there's there's Fantastic. apps there's you know data it's, visualizations it's it's, it's, it's a it's a great piece of work. So it was Jay's really, going really on a team effort. I really loved this, it. I yes, right. I am. Right, like literally, like after I walk up and get up out of here. <laughs> so eight months, we'll have you back. Exactly. You're I'm on back the, on the, the campaign coast. trail yeah. now. Um, so uh, any yeah. uh, anything to look forward to there? Well, I thought. I mean, the, yesterday was interesting. The uh, yesterday was Tuesday. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Greg Abbott came out. And talk to reporters, which was extremely that unusual. It was amazing. It was the I, I I swear I thought I was dreaming. I'm like, this is six not more happening. Weeks, six more weeks of winter. Is there, it? there was no Matt. Well, Hirsch he knew that you no, were done with your story, so there, he was like, ah, finally. Time. There was no Matt Hirsch over there saying last question, like after the second question, um, and like I was able to ask like three questions and follow. You got were, in three. There were follow ups. I mean, I was like, this God. is this Rick Perry that we're talking to here. I mean, I could not believe it. <laughs> and and that we 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 got the great quote of if you need to know about the chemical facilities and what the what any chemical plants have in them in your neighborhood just drive around and knock on their door and ask them right was that a joke no it was not <laughs> well I, guess, I mean that is one way it's it's a way to do it absolutely yeah i as i was driving home from the or driving to back to the tribune from the uh, we don't from, have anything the, here from the press conference. I was thinking, you know, I maybe could just stop in on the way and and ask. I'm just thinking mm -hmm. how that works on 225 in Pasadena. You just drive, stop. I'm sure they'd welcome you in, right? I'm sure somebody ought to. That'd be actually sort of fun. Somebody ought to crowdsource this and send out 300 people and go knock on 300 doors and build a map. Just sail down Lawn, Lawndale Street over to 225 and you know, stop at all those refineries. Ask them where they store them. I would probably do something like that in Austin. Uh, in my hometown of Liberty, I would not do that. <laughs> Why not? Because um, I would probably be shot. Well, that's, I guess that's a different issue. Yeah. Liberty's a tough town. <laughs> but they all know Jay Root. Yeah, they might get shot anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. It would have nothing to do with yeah. the trespassing. Yeah. Uh, right, let's, move, let's move on, Terry. 
Are you ready? I'm ready. She's impeccably dressed. She's I'm ready. Not ready to go. Beautifully dressed, <laughs> ready to go. Let's talk about, I think, uh, recently you wrote about uh, sports agents. Sports agents. We got sports in Texas Tribune. It was yeah, fun. it's very. It's a rare, a rare yeah, every, event. Every you once in a while, you got a section now. You got a picture of Johnny Manziel. It was, it was, it was cheap. It was cheap, and well, we did it. And so, what, so what is the issue, and why? Uh, what, um, what caught your eye about it? Um, it's just I always like uh, things that are regulated, tiny little agencies that regulate one thing or a couple of things. And this is uh, Secretary of State's office has a couple of people in charge of regulating sports agents and their access to college athletes. So um, in recent years, there's been a lot of um, the development of agent days. Agent days for for many colleges in Texas, A&M, Baylor, Texas Tech, they happen in the summer and they also happen at the end of the season. Charlie Strong at the University of Texas what, had... What's an, before you do that, what's an agent day? An agent day is an invitation-only sort of speed dating event between agents... Not unlike the TripCast, sort of. <laughs> where, where agents who are registered with the Secretaries of State's office are asked, is there a certain player you want to talk to? They ask the player, and then they invite you, and then you make a pitch, and it's like a 15, 20-minute pitch, and that's it. And then you cannot have any other access with the player until they're after they are done playing. It's usually before senior year. And Charlie Strong has done away with it this year quietly. Um, it has been there has been a summer agent day for UT, but I found out as I was writing, he got rid of it. Um, he's not a fan of agents on campus until after the season. And and there's talk about that. But from an agent's point of view, they say this is a really important decision, um, that they need a little bit more access than 10 minutes and you're making a pitch. And they also say that Hi, there's no one regulating access on social media or Snapchat or, or whatever anyway. So it's kind of naive to think that you're not having access to these players. Then you have the whole... Um, so are they basically admitting that they're skirting the laws? In they're way? not saying they do, the ones that talk to me. Everyone but, else. Everyone but, says everyone else, yeah. right? Yeah. But they're saying they're that... Snapchatting it, away. Yeah. You know, the minute the bowl is over, the minute the last season is played, all of a sudden kids are signed up. Why did the Charlie Strongs of the world not want the agents talking to the kids before? Because they think it's a distraction um, before the season's over. Um, there's a good argument to be made there, too. Um, I talked to a parent who had a student at Stanford from Dallas, and he said, look, they've got so much to concentrate on when they're playing uh, college um, ball. They're they're trying to get through the season. They're trying to manage their classes. They're trying to manage their, their play schedule and their practices. They don't need to be distracted by an agent. But there's a lot of questions about, you know, whether or not these college athletes are amateurs anymore. We've got a couple of federal uh, court cases going on that on that very issue. So it could just open up and be open season for agents. And the agents are basically saying we got a right to pitch our wares. Yeah, pretty much. So is this a state decision or a university-by-university decision? That was a university decision to do away with a summer agent day. Uh, There's still one. UT says there will still be one after the season's over in November or after uh, after the regular season's over. You can you they will have an agent day. Does this put UT players at a disadvantage? 
you want me to make a joke there about UT? <laughs> I mean, you know, if, 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 there's no other school. If you've got if you've got the numbers and the performance, they you know, the agents will come around. Well, that, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, is it, you know, if you're really good, you, you you don't really need to worry about that stuff, right? Like, it's not like without. Without an agent day, Johnny Manziel would not have yeah. been heard of. Right, correct. It's, it's it's more for people maybe who were on the margins and who, right, uh, or are going to do right. a walk on, or um, you know, um, that's that's the issue. It's just really interesting that we're spending a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to regulate something that is probably pretty unregulated anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, the, so the coaches are afraid that the agents are doing to the players what the coaches were doing when the when the players were in well, high school. Well, and here's here's that? the thing. A <laughs> yeah. lot of a lot of the agents, I mean you joke, but a lot of the No, ag- I don't joke. I'm I know, serious, yeah. No, but a lot of the agents who represent players also represent coaches. So the question is, if you're representing a coach, who's to say you're not in there talking to the coach during the year and you have access to those players? Right. So, is this just a situation where Technology and society has sort of overtaken the rules that were in place from way back when. I mean, you Snapchat just came around right. recently, right? You know? But uh, and and Texas has one of the oldest agent uh, agent laws on the books, and it goes back to the eighties. Oh, the eighties, well, back in the day. Back yeah. in the day. Oh, well, while you guys sort of wax nostalgically about those days, and while, while you while you think about this. your original birthday. <laughs> Uh, we'd like to thank who we want to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music and encourage everyone to send us their questions and comments and favorite memories from the 80s to tribcast at texastribune.org I would like to encourage you to review us on iTunes and also thank Terry, Jay, and Ross for joining us and thank you to our producer Todd this is Reeve thank you for listening Okay, so what are we going to talk about?